Welcome to Machine Learning. One of the uh, things I learned yesterday on Power BI was working with OData. Um, it was not straightforward as I thought it was going to be. Basically, what you do is you say, you set your data set, and then you say path, and where you would publish to would be under your data set directory. Um, so I created a data set using the um, using the uh, uh, the report Power BI a report server and notice that it didn't put it under the data set directory. So I uh, created a directory called data set and then I moved, uh, moved that in there and then I set my path to that data set and it was able to find the, the shared data set. So the problem I'm trying to, to solve is using shared data, SSRS uh, shared data sets in Power BI. So um, I finally was able to get the data set to connect and you use your, uh, you can use Windows authentication or you can use a database authentication. I use Windows authentication. And uh, you go to the advanced uh, tab on your old data and you select uh, other type columns. If you don't do that, it won't bring in, uh, you'll just get an ID, you won't get in, you won't get any of your additional columns. Uh, then it will load your data and the next thing you'll do is um, you'll click, the instead of clicking load, you click transform and when you see transform, you'll see, uh, it'll say records. And then it'll, at the top, it'll say more columns. And there's a little icon button to the right of that. And you click that and it expands out all your columns. Now, strange enough with OData that it doesn't maintain its uh, uh, data types. So it uses kind of a uh, variant data type and it expects you to, uh, to set those data types. And um, uh, so for numbers and dates, you, you'll need to set those. And for the most part, if everything is just displayed only, you, you, uh, you don't have to change the data types. But if you do, you'll go into your edit power query and uh, and then you would uh, specify the types for each one of the columns. Now, uh, that's all great, but uh, when it comes to large data sets, like in the millions of rows, it was super slow. And uh, um, so a secondary way is, is to use the uh, analysis server. And um, that's the part where I've got to get an analysis server set up and then publish my um, 
share data sets to the analysis server and then pick up that data set from there. Um, so, uh, but uh, it's just a workaround kind of standalone. I used OData and, and that was pretty good for small data sets. And when you open your Power BI, it's pretty fast in terms of it doesn't um, uh, load the data until you press refresh. And then when you press refresh, it does, seems like it does an incremental update. It doesn't do the full update. Um, and, uh, and then you can model exactly like the way you would with any of your other Power BI uh, reporting. And so those, that, those features were nice. Well, the next thing I was working on this morning was uh, left and right merge merges and outer merges. And uh, the right merge is an interesting merge because it's really used to kind of verify that one set uh, exists inside of another. So you're looking at your rightmost table and you're looking to see where uh, you have omissions in the leftmost table. And so, for example, you might have a subset and you want to make sure that in the superset that it has all matches so that you can do a, a, um, a, a uh, right join and then look to see where you have null values. And that could tell you that, <clears throat> that you had some missing join values. So this is all kind of interesting because you're dealing here with data from different sources. So you, you may have to do, uh, you, with your subsetting, you may have to do right joints. Now you can also do things like uh, um, outer joins. And what an outer join does is it takes the combination of both sets and combines it together. So you'd have the columns from one set um, and the columns from another. And you can then um, uh, look to see which ones where they are in common and which ones where they're not. So that it's, uh, it gives you an overall picture of how your data looks. And then you can check for um, uh, where let's say you're you're looking at uh, science fiction movies and dramas and you want to see where certain movies intersect where there might be a classification of a science fiction or a drama this might be a case where you have your two subsets and then you do an outer outer um, merge and then you look at where there's commonality and also where there's differences. And so in the case where you, you can do inference too, if it's uh, not sci-fi, it means it must be drama. If it's, uh, if drama is null, then it must mean it's uh, sci-fi. If they are both not null, then that means that they're both sci-fi and drama. So the, there's some inference that can be done with the outer joints. Um, so it was kind of interesting. I used the merging capability, left joins basically, 
to uh, find out my most popular films. So what I did is I took uh, my data frame, which has was a join between the uh, movies and the ratings, and I wanted to see counts. I wanted to see what the average rating was per movie, and I also wanted to see what the uh, user count, how many users uh, rated that movie, and then I wanted to filter based on find the top 10 highest ratings with a user count greater than 200. So 200 ratings with the high, highest uh, average rating. And uh, I probably could uh, put that into some sort of uh, uh, Bernoulli or I could probably do some simulation on those ratings. I, I was just thinking about how I could apply a hypothesis test to figure out which uh, which movie is probably the cleanest but the most interesting and see if I've seen those movies. Because I've seen quite a few movies, but, um, you know, you're always looking for more. and, and But you don't want to get... Um, you want to get a movie that's good that's not excessively violent that has and you know that's a lot of people like because that you know those are those would be things that uh could indicate that the acting is really well and the storyline is dramatic and uh it tells a good story and sometimes when you have a really good movie that uh you you watch it just makes you feel great i i know um uh, one that I really liked was a movie called Fire on a Mountain, and it was the the um, story of the Granite Mountain firefighters who uh, got trapped on a uh, in a um, runaway fire, and, and uh, it's kind of interesting because I Idaho also has a case in Cuna where. The firefighters were fighting a range fire, and uh, there were high winds, and they had some <clears throat> um, equipment malfunction, and they were trying to get, uh, they couldn't get the vehicle started, and they were trying to get to the road, and they were within visual sight of the road, but the fire overtook them, and they burned. And it's, um, they have a little monument. They, uh, they have a small monument, a rock, uh, with a plaque. And it describes the events of that day and the chronology of the times and where they were and some of the things that led up to the, the disaster. Um, but this was before I moved to the area. But it was still interesting to read and to think about um, what had happened there. Well, on Fire of the Mountain, it was similar. They they were fighting a um, forest fire, and there was high winds, 50 to 60 miles an hour, and they were trying to get to the safe location. It's a was a burn-free location where uh, they could, if the fire was coming, they could they could go there and and uh, and then survive the fire. But uh, 
they didn't they they couldn't make it the fire was moving too fast and uh, all of them died so that was kind of a tragedy but um, it they it I guess it kind of offsets one of the characters who didn't die and he um, was a survivor on there he was kind of the guy who um, was into drugs and didn't have had problems with his girlfriend and he had a baby and decided that he wanted to do something for that child that he didn't have and so he got he he made it to the on the team and then became an important part of the team and he was a scout on the mountains watching the fire direction and they had some miscommunication on the mountain and uh, one of their backburns uh, was put out by an airdrop and um, they um, relocated to a different location and uh, it was they just read the, the fire wrong the fire changed directions and they got caught in it and uh, I, you know, I in our area, it was interesting because there was a fire, and uh, <clears throat> it was a grass fire, and it got kind of out of control, and I think it burned about four four to eight hundred acres. But it was um, getting pretty close to my home. I could see the flames, and um, it was burning up on the hill. And they had airplanes dropping water and um, and helicopters that were flying around. Looked like they were trying to get a view and a direction which way the fire was going to burn. But I have a route that I ride my bicycle on and mountain bike. And um, when I rode out there, I could see that the fire burned right up to the road. And didn't jump the road, but uh, it was, you know, blackened the hill, and and uh, it looked like it was burning pretty hot because everything was black, and uh, and it covered, you know, miles of of area that it had burned. And I'm not sure how it started. Probably through uh, lightning or. Um, didn't, Denver did find out what was the root cause of the fire start, but uh, anyway, that was a case where it got kind of close to us, and um, it was uh, kind of scary. You know, I was driving home, and I saw this huge black cloud over uh, in the direction where my home was, and I was thinking, well, I hope that's not a house. And then as I got closer, just the volume of smoke that was going up uh, was incredible. And uh, it kind of gave you a feeling of Armageddon. And uh, and then I realized that uh, the field was on fire. 